Hi, this is Beth, and welcome back to the podcast. Lindsay's mom was murdered when she was only 13 months old. Even though she has no explicit memories of her mom, being a daughter without a mom has had a tremendous impact on her own personal journey. If you are enjoying the podcast, please go to the show and leave a rating and review. I would really appreciate it. And now, Lindsay's story. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. I'm glad that you're here. Today, I have with me Lindsay. Um, Lindsay and I met online, mostly on Instagram, I believe, uh, in the grief community. Um, I was looking back through our interactions, and I think I shared some of her stuff, and she shared some of my stuff, and then she ordered, signed up for one of my um, Daughters Without Moms cards that I did last year and I'm doing them again this year. So if you're listening and it's still before Mother's Day, you can go to the link in my bio and sign up to receive a free handwritten um, Mother's Day because it's hard being a daughter without a mom on Mother's Day, but you're not alone because here we are again, two women uh, who have lost their mothers that are here today to have a conversation. So I am going to turn the mic over to Lindsay and let her introduce herself and tell us her story. And then I will be back with some questions when she's done. So thanks again for being here today, Lindsay. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Beth. And yes, for your audience, um, speaking from experience, I signed up for a card um, for Mother's Day from Beth last year. And I literally have it right in front of me at my desk. It was super comforting and just really special to receive. So I encourage you to reach out and sign up if you want some support on Mother's Day. Um, And that said, my name is Lindsay Joy Taylor, and I am the owner and founder of the Joyful Jewelry Box, where I help you honor and remember your loved ones with remembrance jewelry and gifts for grief and loss. And my personal connection my lived experience is that my mother was murdered when I was only 13 months old. And so in a lot of ways, I don't know anything different than grief. Um, I didn't really have the luxury of growing up or um, learning who I was without grief or loss in my life. Um, And so I think in a lot of ways, that gives me a pretty unique perspective. Um, And so that's why I like to share my story and advocate for the grief community. Um, It goes without saying that I don't have any explicit memories of my mom. And so that's what makes it all the more um, complicated and just unique. You know, it's really interesting to be (laughs) interesting for lack of a better term. Um, It's a big paradox to feel so preoccupied and um, long for someone so often that I really don't know. I mean, certainly I've grown to know who she was, who she had the opportunity to be in her short life. Um, but those stories are all through everybody else's experiences and memories and, and I value those tremendously, but you know, it's always very much a skewed perspective. And so it's really interesting to just, um, <laughs> to spend so much time missing someone that I don't know, that I, I have no concept of what our relationship would have been like. Um, And so in a lot of ways, I absolutely do believe that I started grieving as an infant. I do believe that children grieve. Um, They have a very different experience and process, for lack of a better term, Um, process not 
not indicating stages by any means, but more of just, you know, the process of coming to terms with having your whole life <laughs> um, changed in a matter of minutes. So um, I absolutely do believe I, I've been carrying, you know, this grief and trauma ever since she left my life. Um, and in a, however, at the same time, I really didn't begin um, exploring my grief until I was an adult. Um, so two decades really in there. And, you know, there's an element of that that's just quite obvious, um, developmentally speaking as a child, you know, what I'm capable of and, and seasons of life and all of that. And, and really just then learning to recognize all that you did miss out on, right? As I said before, I never had anything to compare it to. Um, and in no way am I speaking for my brother or my sister. Um, I have an older brother and sister. He's eight years older, my sister's six years older. And so they have some memories. Um, and in no way is it worse, better. That's not what I'm trying to indicate. They just have more of a concept of who this woman was in some way or who she was in their life at that point in time. Um, and so, you know, I think just children, inherently speaking, it's delayed. It, it takes years for this to even be able to be something that you can really necessarily explore. Um, and so my point in saying all of that is not only, you know, my, my experience, but also to kind of convey the point that like, it's never too late to explore your grief, right? It, it doesn't just go away <laughs> because we don't give it our attention um, or because we don't know what to do with it or um, insert whatever your experience has been. And so, um, you know, as a child, it was still very hard, even though I didn't know anything different. I still felt very different. I felt very isolated. I felt um, alone. <laughs> But I don't think I realized necessarily any of that at the time, um, or I didn't have words for those feelings. You just knew everything was weird and off and not how it was supposed to be. Um, and so I think the childhood experience, again, because I didn't have these memories of being able to access like her reading books or her taking me to school, or again, it was a very ambiguous, abstract experience you know it was almost like I realized it through seeing other children and and their parents or something like that um and so also a significant point is there was I don't have any specific memories at least in my early childhood of of being told um anything <laughs> because I mean, naturally I, I, I was pre-verbal. I was barely speaking when she died. So it is inherently, um, it was impossible at the time to try and communicate what had happened, um, you know, age appropriate or not, like that just wasn't even an option. Um, and so I really just grew up knowing this is the best description that I can give. I just knew that I you know, I, I say this for lack of a better term, didn't have a mom or the mom was not around. Um, and that the reasons for that were typically different than children in, in my life. Um, I grew up in a small town um, or let me rephrase. We lived in San Jose, so a big city until I was six. And then we moved to my dad's hometown as a child. So really my childhood of memories, it's a very small town. Um, and so that's certainly, you didn't have other children whose parents had died by homicide. That just was very 
uncommon. And so it just, you felt very different. It was very clear that I was different. Something was amiss. And you just learn to deal with it. I don't know, you know, questions about my mom weren't off limits. Um, thankfully, I know that some people that's really not an option moving forward, depending on your family culture and views about grief and bereavement and all that. And so I, I, she was a point of discussion, but not, um, not in an, uh, how do I say this? Like a spontaneous way, if that makes sense. She wasn't just like woven into the fabric of our lives. I would say that there, you know, something would come up and I would ask questions, that kind of, that kind of regard. She, there certainly wasn't an element of necessarily keeping her memory alive. Um, and so I think all of those pieces collectively contributed to sort of this, you just pick up and move on, you know, um, the resilience that, you know, children inherently can develop, um, but that we also are putting right on top of them. You know, I have, um, I think a, a very unique ex experience or perspective about that as well. I am very resilient and I am proud of that resilience. Um, I don't ever want to minimize that. And yet I certainly, um, know what it's like to have people say you're so strong pat me on the back we don't have to worry about you you get such good grades like all the high functioning child things um and so it's just I, I guess my whole point in saying all of this is I almost see my grief in two different um, seasons right like as a child it just sort of was what it was um and you just picked up and moved on with what was given to you. And, and that was that. And then, you know, as a, as a teenager, I would say more of the adult version came out, you know, specifics about um, her murder and, and the night that it happened, things like that. You know, there certainly was an adult conversation that happened later on in my teens. And I don't want to say that that was the catalyst per se, but it also, how could it not have been, you know, in terms of really starting to um, grasp the gravity of, of not just not, a, you know, that my mother had been killed um, or excuse me, that I had had her absence throughout my life, but that she had also been killed and all the layers that come with that, you know, traumatic loss and grief and, and whatnot. And so in my late teens is when I really started to kind of explore all of this or really recognize that I had these deeper layers to myself, I guess, these empathic, really um, intuitive understanding of grief and loss, I guess, you know, and, and not that I can understand everybody else's experience. I only know mine, but I think that it, <laughs> Um, as we were talking about a little bit before, just the years of, of, of when we're going on 40 years. And so it's just, there's been so many different angles and perspectives to it. I think it just, um, it really put on my heart that we are mostly <laughs> doing all of this grief stuff wrong. <laughs> and I don't mean that I, I shouldn't say, I should clarify because, you know, I, certainly preach there's no right or wrong way to grieve i more society i mean societally speaking these expectations that we have that um 
that will ever move on from this pain or that I could even start to begin before, you know, before a year or two or three, like, it's just, that's what I mean. The perspectives that we have about grief and, and what we do with it and the realities of it, that's what society has all wrong. And, uh, and I picked up on a lot of that, you know, you intuit a lot of that as a kid, sort of what I was saying before in the sense that I always just knew that the things were different, that mom was gone. And so you intuit all of these messages alongside of that. And I think that finally, um, in my late teens and early twenties, that was when I was like, this is not how it's supposed to be. I'm not supposed to just pretend that mom never existed. Um, and so I went to school to be a counselor. I thought I was going to be a therapist. I had always wanted to, um, you know, in hindsight, I had always wanted to provide support to other people and, and given everything I just said, you know, it was very clear why, um, and so I studied communications in my undergrad, and then I do have my master's in counseling psychology. Um, I do have my training, you know, I completed my traineeship and counseled clients in no way or shape or form. Am I a therapist? I'm very clear about that boundary, but it just gave me a very unique perspective, not only from my lived experience, but also working with other grievers, working within the mental health system, and really understanding, again, the ways that we um the ways that we're missing the mark and the ways that grievers could be more supported. Um, and, you know, I think that all, it all just kind of broke open together through my twenties um, in the way that that was when, that was when I finally started seeing a therapist um, and when I say finally, I don't mean that I was ever resistant to that. And if you are, that's okay too. Everybody's process is different. But the point was more that I, it's, it's like I always knew my mom's death was tragic, but I never really recognized or realized how traumatic it was. Like, hello. Um, you know, and so that just gave me a whole new perspective of, um, of how much I maybe would, had shortchanged my own experience. Um, and I, I don't mean that to put responsibility or guilt on myself. You know, as a child, you don't necessarily know how to lead that. <laughs> you need some of those models while they also are um, honoring boundaries and not pushing children, you know, too quickly or too slowly. Or, you know, again, you know your children, but yeah, it just gave me a very unique perspective about all of those things and the space to finally honor my trauma and have compassion for everything that I had been through. Um, and for my family, you know, it's just, I, I'd say in a lot of ways, that, that's when the pieces started to fall into place, not that anything was healed, but where I started to feel like I could have a a role in my own grief, um, that I could be the witness to my own experience that I felt like other people maybe were incapable of, um, that I was the one who could keep my mom's memory alive, that I was the one who could talk about her and have those hard conversations to be honest, even if other people didn't want to or were incapable of. I think it was just, I finally gave myself permission to be sad about my mom dying, you know? Um, 
And so, you know, in a lot of ways, it's just like, I, I, it all makes sense. You know, it all makes sense in the way of, in the way am I saying everything happens for a reason? That's not what I mean. I'm saying like where I've ended up made sense each step along the way, even though like it was really painful. Um, I think not forcing myself through that also is kind of what allowed this to, to come out this way. You know, there's another element of, you know, not only the societal expectations, but the pressure to hurry up. Well, no, like <laughs> it takes time for these things to develop and for you to be able to absorb what's happened. And, um, and I feel like I'm rambling a little bit and yet I'm trying to just, you know, honor what's coming out. So anyway, the point is, you know, through all of that experience, you know, through my twenties, you know, it was really just very much digging through all of that and thinking that, you know, I'm going to be a therapist and, and I don't know, you know, in hindsight, I, I, I know that I made the right decision, but it was so overwhelming at the time being a therapist didn't feel like the right fit. It felt like I, um, I just am an advocate, I'm much more of an advocate. Most of everything that I've already said, um, I don't have the capability to say that in the therapy room. Um, and it's not that I need to go out and have everything be about me. <laughs> but, you know, I think I've made my point in the sense of I, I want to give people unique um, perspective, you know, the unique perspective that I have um, to help move the field forward, the field of grief support, you know, because we're still... We're still, we're still grasping in a lot of ways. And I'm so grateful for how far we've come, um, but we're still grasping in a lot of ways. All that to say, before I started the Joyful Jewelry Box, I was working at a nonprofit in mental health. I was doing administrative work and I really enjoyed that. I appreciated everything I've said so far, you know, having that, that knowledge um, and support to give to the department, but also to be somewhat removed. You know, I think that I have, I think I just have to be honest and be aware of what my own capacity is. And certainly I, I, I am in the right place, but if I'm not careful with my boundaries, you know, I, I think we talked about this a little bit, you know, before the episode started as well. Um, it can be too much. It felt like a really good fit. I loved being able to be so close and making an impact, but sort of behind the scenes, I guess. Um, and the short version is, unfortunately, I was laid off due to lack of funding. And so it was just this season in terms of like, how do I support my help contribute, support my family? You know, we had just moved, we just bought a house, our dog had just had surgery. Like, how do I just pivot really quickly until we figure out what's next? And so um, I had a hobby. I've had a hobby since high school, um, making jewelry, bohemian chic styles, nothing really um, to the degree of, of what my shop is now. Um, and so it really was just an off the cuff. Okay, let's figure something out. And so I had recently connected with a jewelry designer, um, who had an Etsy shop and really just kind of showed me the ropes. And this felt like, okay, well, this helps me be flexible and we'll figure out what's next. And through that process, I was really missing everything that I just said, missing that, that, that feeling of value contributing to mental health, helping people who are struggling. I was really missing um, that helping field aspect. 
And so that was when I started to really recognize or um, think about how can I bridge the gap? How can I bridge the gap of all of these different pieces and make this something special and make this something meaningful? And through that, it's so funny. I was literally in the bath one night, you know, because that's where all the great ideas come from, bath or the shower. And um, I, I remembered that as a kid, one of my favorite things to do was to play with my mom's jewelry box. Um, not so much dress up, but like I would take it to my special little hiding place under the pool table and pull out my favorite pieces and just treasure them you know I would hide them here and there and it just became sort of this really intuitive child play therapy way of dealing with my the loss of my mom and it was fascinating that I had never really I mean I knew that it's not like I'd never thought about that but how it all just like boom you know like the the switch had been flipped and it was like whoa um this is, <laughs> I'm not making this meaningful. This is meaningful, right? It's, it was what I was saying a few minutes ago about having that space for all of this to come full circle for lack of a better term. And so I was like, I just, I couldn't believe it honestly. <laughs> and so that was when I made the decision that I wanted to pivot again and focus on remembrance and memorial jewelry. And, um, and even more specifically about that, you know, um, the name, the joyful jewelry box, that might seem pretty weird um, or almost even insensitive, you know, for a business that revolves around grief and loss. But it's also really intentional because um, my middle name is Joy and my mom, it was really important to her when I was born that that be my middle name to represent like the immense happiness that they felt in spite of it being a really overwhelming season for my family there was a lot going on um and not to say that like you you wouldn't be overjoyed when your child is born anyway but I think in time I realized like she was talking about that contrast <laughs> right the contrast of being able to experience such deep joy in the midst of such deep pain um and, you know and as a child I really I, I was a, I was a well-behaved and high-functioning child, but I wouldn't, I didn't feel like a happy, joyful kid. I actually felt very jaded. I felt very kind of bitter. It wasn't a name that felt like me, right? And through the evolution, through the decades, as I've talked about, I started to understand the meaning of that, you know, the meaning behind the story and really what the gift was in that. And almost like, it's almost like she realized the very, I don't want to say lesson, but lesson, <laughs> I don't have a better term, right? The insight, you know, I just, it's, she gave me one of the greatest lessons that I could have had, even though she hasn't been here this whole time, right? And so it's a very intentional way of not only honoring her legacy and my name and that evolution, but also every, what I just said, that we can still experience deep joy um, in the midst of deep pain. Right. And so it's, it's all sort of unfolded in this really special way that sometimes like when I, I, I share, it's almost like I, <laughs> it's almost like I still don't even grasp it all. Um, 
it means a lot to me. And it's been really special to be able to um, take ownership, like I said, all these years later of that experience um, and her memory and her legacy and use that to help other people give themselves permission to do the same thing, you know? So that is the long-winded <laughs> curvy road that led me here. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, well, so how long has, has the Joyful Jewelry Box been in existence? Eight years. Eight years. Okay. Eight years. Okay. Well, boy, oh boy. And, you know, it's so funny how so many of us speak the same language because mm -hmm. I wrote down when you were talking about about as a child grieving, I wrote down for my question for you to be, well, I don't know if I can point to it, but thoughts about resilience. And then later on in the conversation, you used the word resilience. Mm -hmm. um, you and I both said that we also, we both have spoken to Randy, um, is Wolf Perlman, Perl mm -hmm. right. that wrote the book, Wolfson, um, yeah. Wolfson Eddie's Brave Journey, um, yeah. because her dad died when she was 10. Um, and I, I think a lot about, you know, that people say, well, you know, but kids are so resilient and they are, but that doesn't mean that they're missing and not understanding what's going on. Like you said, even at 13 months old, mm -hmm. you inherently knew that there was something going on around you that wasn't, I don't want to say, I mean, it wasn't normal, but it just wasn't, it wasn't the norm, you Absolutely. know? Yeah. And I appreciate you making that point because um, something that's actually sort of come to light that that I'm actively processing, um, you know, and I, I wrote my thesis about this, my, my graduate thesis called The Forgotten Mourners, Traumatic Loss During Infancy, specifically about all of what we're talking about. And, um, you know, throughout life, you know, I naturally would ask questions as I started to really like grasp the depth of this like did I stop eating did I stop sleeping like any was I fussy was I you know and generally speaking and I give people in my life a lot of grace they were so deeply traumatized and grieving and in shock and you know so I take it all with a grain of salt but the general consensus was that I adapted and I do I adapt really well um but I recently connected with an old friend of my mom's from church, she found my shop after all these years, which is such a cool part too, right? It's not only how many people remember her, but that when they go looking for her, there's something there all these years later. Like I just, yeah. oh, that makes uh -huh. me, that brings me a lot of joy. Um, and through our conversation, she said, we had heard you started taking pictures of your mom to your dad and asking like as, as a way mm -hmm. of asking like where is she because I mm -hmm. couldn't talk mm -hmm. and uh, I just oh my god she told me that it was so heart-wrenching and validating at the same time yeah. you know in the sense of um, that resilience needs to be named and supported and um, discussed not used as a title and a and a gold star yeah Right. Like, it's, right. and that's sort of the thing I, I even posted something about this the other night, you know, there's, it's getting kind of a bad rap these days because, you know, we resent that we had to be so resilient or we resent that people look the other way. 
um, or believe that resilience fixes things. And yet for me personally, there's a difference between how I want to talk to myself through this experience and how I want to show up for other grievers. Mm -hmm. But to me, it's not very productive to say, I'm so weak. These are all my problems. No, (laughs) my resilience is still helping me navigate life in spite of the things that have come up from that trauma. You know, so it's just, I think with everything these days, (laughs) it takes Mm -hmm. some nuance right? It's become Mm -hmm. a big buzzword. And it just, you know, it requires discussion. Resilience doesn't just happen, right? It's a learned, developed skill, you know, and that's what, that's what I think people are really missing when we say that about kids. Kids are resilient when we help them be resilient, Mm -hmm. you know, so. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And the other thing that, you know, oh, you're so strong. Well, first of all, what other choice did I have? You know, I mean, you were 13 months old. I was 13 years old. So vast difference there. But also, you know, that was what, what I was told. Well, you're so strong. Well, first of all, do I have a choice? No, you don't have a choice. The deed is done and there's no undoing the deed. Um, but you also mentioned being a high functioning kid several times. Mm-hmm. And I, there has, there's got to be a link to this with, with um, having a, a death or a traumatic experience or something like that, because I was the same way. I, I, it was like, well, as long as I check all the boxes and do all the things and you know, well, the rest of my life will have to be okay because this has already happened, you know? Absolutely. Um, and there's a woman named Terry Cole, who's like the boundary boss, but she taught, I never, like when people would talk about codependency, I was like, oh, I don't know if you're like this, but I'm like fiercely independent. You know, uh-huh. I'm, not, I'm not dependent on anything. My, you can't see me, but Lindsay can see me. My head's bobbing and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and how codependent that statement is, right? <laughs> so she's Funny got, you mentioned that because that was such a buzzword growing up. Right? And, uh, yes. <laughs> and she's coined to this term called high functioning codependency. Exactly. You, you you're dependent on your high functioning. And mm-hmm. I was like, like hit me like the brick was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's what it is. Well, and I think there's a variety of reasons to feed into that, but you just made a point a minute ago that I feel like probably happens with older children a lot in the sense of make sure and take care of your remaining parent, your surviving parent, you know, don't give them anything else to worry about. You take care of your siblings. You know, I imagine that could have been more of your experience or that that was certainly some of my brother and my sister's experience. And like I said, just older children, you know, if there are younger grievers in the picture, it's, it's almost, it's almost expected. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 But like I said, it's not like you're, um, you're not given a choice, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny because I, I, I mean, you, you, you went to school for some of this, but as I, I told you before we started recording how my 2020 started with the loss of my sister and then the shutdown of the country and everything. And then I, I really, <clears throat> I went back to the loss of my mom, you know, when I was 13 and realized, I think like you did as you were entering different seasons of your life that I had never really allowed myself to fully process that loss. And um, like you think, I, 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 because I'm somebody who loves to learn and I love to read and hear different perspectives and things, and I'd be like, society just has it all wrong. And you think, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I think I am figuring this stuff out. Like, this is just wrong. Everything we've been told about grief is wrong. Every 
tool, first of all, we haven't been given many tools to deal with grief, but everything we've taught is wrong. And you feel like you're like, you know, making this great, like you're Columbus making this great discovery. And it's, and it's, and it's not, um, but it is just the, like I said, a few minutes ago, this whole um, sense of people in this arena speaking the same language, um, because I don't have any formal training in it. Like you said, I, I have, a, this my life experience is what I'm, you know, going through. And I have this year, I think it's going to be 39 years that my mom's been gone. Um, <clears throat> but man, yeah, we do just provide such a, our society and culture is just provide such a crappy way of dealing with things. And I saw you did post recently about that new, I don't know, is it DSM-5, GSM-5? Yeah. Something. So, yeah. So the, the, the abbreviate, the abbreviation is dsm Five, which means it's the fifth version, but it's the diagnostic and statistical manual that is used um, throughout psychiatry. It's the coding system, basically, for mental illness and thereby insurance. And while grief and bereavement has always been included in the manual, it's not always been a diagnosable code. It's been a big debate for a long time. And so this is for your, your audience who's not familiar, um, sort of the uproar about this in recent weeks is that it's now an official diagnosis in the manual. Um, the name of it is prolonged grief diagnosis. And the, uh, for me, I feel like the, the point that so many people are struggling with is that um, less so of a label, because for some people that's actually quite helpful. For some people that can be very validating. It is as bad as I thought, you know? Yeah. Um, but more specifically, this diagnostic criteria starts at 12 months and that's <sighs> offensive. It's harmful, quite honestly. Um, and I say that unequivocally as somebody who's used the manual, who's used treatment plans, who's worked with clients, who understands um, that there are some very specific scenarios where grief is so debilitating, you do need some specialized care. Like I understand all the caveats and I'm not seeing the benefit outweigh the cost here yet. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's, I think that that's a common consensus among the people who are frustrated by it. That said, I will be the first to say I was wrong if this means, you know, increased access to care, um, better expectations, um, better support, you know, um, better bereavement support in our jobs. And if the trickle down effect is, is not as harmful as I expect it to be, I will be the first one to say that. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm having some trouble off the bat. <laughs> Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Having mm -hmm. some trouble off the bat because I feel like it's reinforcing so much of what you and I have already talked about in the sense of, um, first of all, it's an unrealistic timeline. There is no timeline to grief, but 12 months is absurd. Like you are still navigating through the immense shock, the fog, like the, it's just, it, yeah, yeah it yeah. hasn't even begun to to sink in and you know more specifically um to the argument about it increasing care you know that diagnosis is is really aimed at only one in ten grievers so technically it's not really increasing access to care 
Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. These are my concerns, but we'll see, you know, and mm-hmm. that's why I talk about it. It's sort of what you were just saying a minute ago. Like we are, <laughs> what we're saying, what we're speaking about isn't necessarily like earth shattering news, but we're finally saying what so many people didn't feel safe enough to say all these years because they felt judged or they've been stigmatized or, you know, it's just, um, and so I'm really grateful for people like you and me, you know, in the way of, um, I don't really care if people think what they think, <laughs> you know, if this is going to make an impact, if this is going to change our expectations and help people feel us alone and help us keep our people's memory memories alive better than not better. Um, where we don't feel ashamed or judged for doing that. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a better way to put it. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Grateful yes. for us making that happen and Mm. so we shall see and Mm -hmm. I'm even more grateful for us making that happen in light of this like I can only imagine if this diagnosis had come out when the grief community wasn't what it is today Mm -hmm. Um, you know Mm -hmm. they were very prepared for this backlash which is just all the more interesting Mm. so Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) we'll see I could go on and on and on but (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. yeah there is no timeline. I mean, there is no, you know, you, you said I'm almost 40 years in you're, you're also, you said very close to 40 years in. Um, and I keep, I have a friend who has a podcast called next chapter, empty nest, and I'm a pseudo empty nest. My, my 18 year old decided not to go to college. So he's working full time and is still at home, but like, there's just all these different seasons and stages of life that will keep happening that just keep bringing it back. Like, I'm like, huh, my mom never got to be an empty nester, you know, like things I can relate to things you can't relate to. It all is just part of your lens from here on out. Yeah. And that doesn't change, you know? Well, and you make a really good point, right? You said something a few minutes ago. Yeah. About how, you know, when Amy died that you started to recognize maybe that you hadn't processed your mom's death. Right. And so there's certainly an element of every loss brings up previous loss. You know, that doesn't mean it's some debilitating, um, put you back on the floor situation, but there's still new layers to, um, to digest and explore. But you made a really important point just now that it's far beyond loss. It's life. It's these experiences and it's the interplay of not only yours, but our mothers and our siblings and what they got to live or didn't get to live and, and all of those things. So I, that's mm-hmm. a really important point that <laughs> not only is it an unrealistic expectation, but like how unfair it's just, it makes no sense for us to, you want us to like caught off our foot and pretend we never had one. It makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. That's so true. Um, and so just one other thing I wanted to mention, because when you were talking about the high functioning kid, but that you also felt bitter, I just got a book in the mail today called Bittersweet. Have you heard of this? Yes, actually, I just King. added it to my list the other day. Okay, because it's, you were talking about the, with Joy being your middle name and and the, the paradox of your, the name of your, um, your business that resembles. Um, for remembrance and memorial jewelry, but that is the joyful jewelry box, but your relationship between joy and sorrow. And the title is bittersweet, how sorrow and longing make us whole. Mm -hmm. And this is, to me, this is one of the biggest deficits in our society that we do this whole toxic positivity. Oh, just put your happy face on and everything will be okay. And blah, 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 blah. 
Um, my, my thing has been that, and that's a Brene Brown thing. Like when you numb one emotion, yep. you also numb the other side of it. So if you don't ever fully allow yourself to feel your grief, if you don't allow yourself to go down that pit, the height of your joy will be relative to that depth. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it I think is, it's both parts that make us whole. It's not yes. just the great happy things, which, which are great. Don't get me wrong. I love a sunshiny day and, yeah. and, you know, good things, but it is the depth of my grief that has allowed me to fully be able to recognize that. Mm-hmm. And to appreciate that it's not always there. Yeah. Yeah. Or to appreciate that it can be possible, even when you think it's, nearly impossible yeah I agree completely I agree completely yeah so um yeah so if anybody's listening interested bittersweet by Susan Cain um it just came out this week today is April 7th I believe it was released two days ago so I I'm gonna start reading it I just got it today but yeah yeah I saw some some seems like something to be recommended yeah Yeah. no I added it to my list it sounds Perfect. And the thing is too, is I think that there's, there's an evolution to what that joy is too, right? I think that we have this expectation that the joy that we'll feel after loss is the same as what it was before. And it can't possibly be right. It can't possibly be for so many reasons, you know, perspective alone. Um, and that's in no way to minimize like the guilt that can come up, but, you know, especially if you feel like you're laughing or, too soon or again everybody's version is different um that's just a common one I hear so often for me you know I had such a again such a long um timeline that we're dealing with it wasn't so much guilt per se about enjoying the good in my life it was almost guilt about not allowing it Mm -hmm. into my life right and uh anyway it's just more of just like a discussion that it just evolves so much after loss. Like we can't ever necessarily treat it the same. And it's, it's funny that I say that as someone who, who doesn't have the, the before to compare it to, but my mom did. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the lesson I feel like she gave to me. Um, and I don't, I don't think it was supposed to stop with her. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 So I usually ask if there's, you know, some final tip you want to share. Is there anything in your, you know, in your background and your mind and your story, any final thing that you want to share with the listeners today before we wrap up? Yeah, just to honor your process. And I feel like that's so, you know, that's such kind of a trite thing to say, but in this day of grief community, instill, share your stories online, advocating and all of that. I am so grateful for, for that. Um, like I said, a few minutes ago, and yet you don't need to do that. (laughs) Right. You don't need to make your grief public. You don't need to turn it into anything. It doesn't need to be a lesson. This was my process, right? This was the journey that I was handed and I'm just trying to do my best to write it out. But that doesn't mean in any way, shape or form, am I trying to communicate that your grief has to be packaged up and pretty and made into some like, lesson for yourself or anybody else you can honor your process you can be as vocal or as private as you need to be about it and um 
it's important for me to say that as someone who is so very public and vocal about mine, right? That's sort of what helps me cope. But if that's not what helps you cope, that's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. So just make sure that you're not trying to live out somebody else's grief expectations, you know? Mm -hmm. Very well said. I totally agree. And so um, I will link all of Lindsay's information in the show notes. I'll link her Instagram profile and also the Etsy shop, Joyful Jewelry Box. So you have time. Mother's Day is coming up. It's the perfect time to check out um, Lindsay's Etsy shop and see what you can do for either yourself or someone else this year um, in honor of the upcoming Mother's Day. And also don't forget to go to my bio and sign up to receive your um, Daughters Without Moms Mother's Day card. Yes, absolutely sign up for a card. Like I said, I got one last year before I even knew Beth Mm -hmm. um, and technically it led to this conversation. Um, And also too, yes, thank you very much um, for pointing out my shop. But I also want to say too that I... Um, have grief resources like grief affirmation cards to help you through your own process as well if um, memorial jewelry is not your thing or um, cool hats I saw hats yeah it's just it's evolved into a way for you to honor your process in your own way as well so um, if you feel like treating yourself or someone else, that's awesome. But there's also tools to help you on a daily basis as well. And to me, those are really, um, they have, they're just really important. So, yeah. mm-hmm. and also <clears throat> I did see on your, um, link tree, um, link that you have, you have tons of free resources for people and that as well. So if you go to Lindsay's profile, also go to her, you know, link in her bio and scroll down. She's got a ton of um, free resources that she's accumulated over the years that she shares on there as well. So, yes. so yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Beth. Yeah. Thank you again for having me. I really enjoyed talking with you and um, I hope your audience, I hope this was helpful for your audience. Thanks yes. again. Yep. Thanks for being here. If you liked this episode or you are a fan of the show, the best way to support it is to share it on social media and with your family and friends. For more of my thoughts on the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. As always, remember, we can use grace, grit, and gratitude to grow with our grief.